All right, well, good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Good, good. Hey, we want to just take a, another little pause break here and, um, and really just show some honor this morning. We have uh, a family, part of our family here that, uh, that is going through a terrible tragedy, uh, the, the loss of a, of a child, the loss of a brother, the loss of a loved one, and the, the Ramos family is here this morning, and uh, we have a slide of Cesar passed away this week. Uh, such a young life, and um, I got the, the privilege of spending time with the family yesterday and um, just talking about Cesar's life and, and all the things I didn't even know because I didn't get to know him as well as, as some people around here, and I just loved hearing the stories and the, um, the passion that he had for worship and music. That's what that me and Angel were talking about, and, you know, we're in here, and and we're just talking about worship and Cesar's love for worship and music. And, um, and Angel's like, the best way that I could show honor to him was, was to be on this stage today and, and, uh, and to worship. And, and uh, man, I just appreciate your, your faith, your courage. You know, uh, we're not promised that every day is going to be easy in this walk with Christ. We're not promised to, to, to not go through tribulations and trials and loss and grief. The only thing we're promised in scripture is that he'll be near us. That he'll be with us. And your example of courage and, and faith of being here, family, and it, it, not, it ministers to me because I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I could handle it. And I don't know how you're going to. The only way that I know that you can handle it is him. And so this morning, I, I would like to pray over the family and, and just... So bless you guys, uh, if you're comfortable and you're part of the family, if you would stand and if you're here. Um, and again, we wanna extend a hand forward to the family. If you'll bow your heads with me and I just wanna pray over them this morning. Father, I can just feel your heart. That I know this, this wasn't the actual plan. And that somehow we're in the middle of this tension, Lord, that you knew every day. You knew every day, Father. You knew this was going to happen. That, that because of the broken world, because of the, 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 the sin that has entered this world, that we go through this pain and this turmoil and this tension, God, but, but you promised to be right there with us. And I'm not going to claim just because I'm the guy on the stage with the mic that I understand this, because I don't. But I don't have to understand it because I, I know who you are. And you understand this. You understand how the family's going to get through this. You understand how, how parents can grieve the loss of a child. You understand that somehow, God. I don't. So we have to have you. We have to have you in this moment, Lord. You have to show up. Lord, you have to show up and you have to comfort the family. You've got to be right there. Right here at this intersection where the, the enemy would love to have a stronghold. I, I rebuke you, enemy, in the name of Jesus, that you do not get this moment in time. And I invite you in, Holy Spirit. I invite you into this grieving family's heart and space. 
and to protect them and comfort them. And in the days that it's unbearable and everybody else's life begins going forward again and their life never goes back to normal, that you're the only constant that can get them through that. I know, I know nothing else in this life to get people through that kind of pain. And so, Lord, I need you to be more real than you've ever been. I need you to be more present than you've ever been. I need you to be Jehovah Jireh. I need you to be the Alpha, the Omega, Lord. I need you to be the Prince of Peace that your scripture says you are. And so, Lord, I just pray over the family and their courage today being here. I pray somehow that the gathering and the grieving and the weeping of the, of the body together over their loss, our loss, somehow is medicine for that wound a little. It's not going to ever be healed, and we know that. It's not supposed to. But somehow, in the midst of the greatest pain that we can experience in life, it somehow opens up a greater reality of knowing you as well. That suffering is so closely tied to our sanctification. That somehow when these types of pains are offered up, that, that the transformation of the human heart takes a deeper and, and more developing place of change, Father. And so I just pray over the family right now. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Oh, well, look, I... You know, I grabbed Allie this morning and was even saying, I, I don't even know how you, how, how you move forward from a, a place and a position like this. I had so many swirling emotions and thoughts for the family. And Louis, it's an opportunity that we would never ask for you to lead and guide your family into Christ. Angel, same thing for your family that's going to be weeping and grieving. And there's going to be opportunities in the days ahead that normal everyday life doesn't offer. And so we just, we thank you guys for being here and your courage that you're showing here. <clears throat> yeah. We've been in, <laughs> we've been in the book of Hebrews. And I can't think of Sure, there's plenty of other examples that I could try to search for and find, I'm sure, but only the Lord weaves things together like this. Only he knew that somehow that we would be in the book, book of Hebrews this month and that somehow it would complement what's going on inside of your hearts and life in this season. There's, there's two overarching themes that the, that the book of Hebrews unpacks. And here's the two different themes if, if you've not been following along and catching. The first, the, the first and one of the most important themes that we have to know as, as believers... You know, this, 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 this going back, this going to Christ and then walking away, this falling in love with Christ and then falling out of love with him. The, the, the singular most important thing that happens is, is Christ loses his place of being superior in our life. That this book of Hebrews gives us this place of the supremacy of Christ. It reminds you that, that Christ is superior to all others. All others, everything that you would go through, anything that can happen in this life, that, that Christ is superior to anything that you'll go through. 
And even the author is reminding these believers that, that, that don't waver now, don't give up now, that Christ is superior to the persecution that you're facing, to the, to the heartache that you're facing, to the pain that you're facing, that Christ is superior to that. And so in the book of Hebrews, not only are we reminded of the supremacy of Christ, that, that his power, that his authority, that, that, that who Jesus Christ is, is greater than anything that this world can throw at you or anything that can happen in your life. And then when you're in the middle of this wilderness, as we'll talk about today, that it's the perseverance in Christ that you must focus on. No matter the problem, no matter the issue, no matter what you're facing in front of you, how do I go through this persevering in Christ? How does my relationship, my maturity, how does my, my spiritual growth continue to go forward through this? You see, when we set our mind on that Christ is superior and that how do I persevere in Christ, the perseverance in Christ through all things is what he wants. You see, on days like today, we're, we're a little ill-prepared in the church a lot of times. Because a lot of times the church has, has softened this gospel message a little bit. And they, they tell you that, that, that we're highly blessed and we're favored. That, that if, you just, if you put your faith in Christ, that you're not going to face tribulations or troubles or, or trials like this. But it's not true. Suffering is a paramount theme throughout scripture that you would suffer and persevere. You will suffer. You will be persecuted. You will not be accepted by this world when you are in Christ. And that's what the book of Hebrews is telling us. Story after story in the Old Testament to the, to the New Testament that Pastor Kurt did such a good job. Jesus didn't parachute in. He was in the beginning the story didn't let Jesus come be a part of it. Jesus is the story. That he is the story. And so when we look at this, it's story after story of people in the Bible that have lost sight of persevering in Christ in their relationship and love in the Lord. They lost sight that Christ is superior than whatever giants in front of them, whatever problems in front of them. They lose sight because they see the enemy, they see the trial, they see the, the thing that's almost impossible to overcome, and they lose sight that God is superior to what's in front of them. And the book of Hebrews is just remi reminding us of that. I got a silly story I'm going to tell. Um, anybody ever heard of the Dream Center? Dream Center, amen. Give it up whoop, whoop, for the Dream Center, amen. Dream Center is a one year and it can go longer if you're a knucklehead like me. I took a few years of it, but it is a one year Jesus Christ discipleship addiction recovery program. Praise the Lord. And I went through the Dream Center personally. Uh, I went through this Dream Center in Aurora, Missouri. Anybody ever heard of that place? Three of them, and all three are from there. So <laughs> you ain't heard of it, and I don't suggest you go there. There ain't much there. But I'm going to tell you about one thing that's there, and it's terrible, okay? Uh, here in Aurora, Missouri, there is a dog food factory. Anybody ever been around a dog food factory? Okay, all right. You, about, you know what I'm about to talk about then, okay? There is a special kind of category, I think, um, for terrible people 
that, that have to live eternity in a dog food factory, I think is what it is. And anyways, in Aurora, Missouri, they have this dog food factory. I got a picture of it. They're going to throw up for me. Here is a, a dog food factory in Aurora, Missouri, and this thing's called AFB International. Don't look it up. There's nothing really interesting about the name or the factory itself. But you want to know what's really unique about this place? It stinks. Like, I'm not talking like, bro, put on some deodorant kind of stinking. I'm talking like 8, 10, 12 miles away, smelling like there's a 15-foot there's a, a, a pile of, of, of animals, de decaying type of smell. It is the worst, most rotten smell, rotten egg, gas leaking, whatever you can think of is worse, I promise you. Okay, we were six miles away from this factory, and this property smelled so bad, it was terrible. Your clothes stank, the building stank, you stank, you, everything you did stank, your food stank, everything was just terrible. Okay, you guys get the point? Did I paint that decent enough? It was terrible, okay? And so, anyways, the, the bad thing about this dog food factory is after a little while, you quit smelling it. You see, it wasn't necessarily that the smell changed. It's just that you changed and got used to the smell. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like certain kinds of food. You walk into a home and there, there's certain cultures that cook certain kind of foods. And I'm like, whoa, that's, and they're like, what's wrong? Like this food's great and it's, it's super strong. That, the dog food factory put off this kind of like aura for the whole town. And, and anyways... You get used to the smell, a couple months go by, and I'm like, I don't smell nothing, I'm totally good. They must have fixed the problem, a little Febreze, and you're good to go. And Until you had somebody visit you from out of town. And so I had visitor passes every so often, so somebody, my mom come visit me, or somebody would come visit me, my brother came visit me, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, bro, like, what is the smell in this place? I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. I'm like, give it a few months, your nose will go rotten, and you won't smell no more, so... Anyways, this dog food factory, terrible smell, and all of a sudden, you know, it stops smelling until somebody new comes around. You see, my illustration that I'm connecting here a little bit today is the gospel should be a little bit like that visitor coming to pop in town and pointing out that smell in your life sometimes. You see, sometimes we've got this, like, these, these things that stink about our personalities, these defects that we, let, we leave unchecked, these things that, that are not Christ-like in our life, and like the dog food factory, it stinks right away, but then all of a sudden you just get used to it, and the people around you start getting used to it until somebody new comes around you. You see, and this is how the gospel should put us under a magnifying glass, just like my visitors came and it was like, bro, this stinks, you gotta go, this town's terrible, it can't stay this way, like that is horrible. Like the gospel should have that same kind of like recognition in our lives on a consistent basis. That this gospel, when we are reading and studying and preaching and teaching and worshiping, that, that the gospel should put a magnifying glass on your heart and continually change you from glory to glory to glory, that as a believer, we are to continue to change. It's not a one and done process just because you are a better version than when Jesus found you doesn't mean you are the the version that Christ wants you to be that that just like when the visitors come around and they're like bro it smells it, the gospel every time we come in contact with this it should point out something about my life that could be more Christ-like and I, I give that to you and that's what the book of Hebrews is doing it's reminding you that you ain't done 
Like this journey, this sanctification process, this, this, this pulling away from the strongholds in our heart and our minds and our lives that, that when our life is purely underneath the microscope and magnifying lens of the gospel, there should be things changing. But all too often we allow that microscope to be pointed at other people and point out where they need to change because I'm different than when I first got saved. And so Hebrews is reminding us as saints, number one, that he's, he's supreme, he's superior to all problems that you're facing. But number two, that this perseverance in Christ, that this, this spiritual growth and maturity in Christ is not a one and done game. That you should not be the same version sitting here today than you were last year. You should not be the same Christian doing the same thing, struggling with the same areas. Christ does not want that for you. Amen? Amen. Hmm. <clears throat> All right, Hebrews breakdown. I'm going to go into this a little bit of Hebrews in general. Let's break that down together. Um, so Hebrews breakdown. The author assumes that the audience knows the Old Testament well. And so the writers of Hebrews, a little bit debatable, but this writer assumes that whoever he is teaching, his, his demographic, the audience that he's teaching to, that you know the Old Testament well, specifically knowing Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, okay? Very important that you know this out of the Old Testament. Also how Moses led the Israelites out of slavery and then that he led them to Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? Ten Commandments. So Moses led the Israelites out of slavery. He led them to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments, uh, we also know as the Torah, he, met, he led them to Mount Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments. After all of these miracles happened out of the slavery, out of all this freedom they've, that the, the, the being freed they experienced, they, the Ten Commandments, the, the manifestation of miracles and provision from God. And then... Very important that you understand this. The book of Hebrews, the, the bow that gets tied throughout this is they experienced all these miracles. They went through all these God-given just gifts and miracles. But then they wandered the wilderness for 40 years when geographically it should have taken, what, a couple weeks? That, that they went through all these blessings. And geographically, the, the quickest path would have taken them through this wilderness, which took them 40 years. They walked through the wilderness for 40 years, and it should have only taken them maybe a couple weeks. If they did some, like, sightseeing and, and tour shopping and whatever you can do on the, in the wilderness journey. That's the foundation that, he's, that the author is trying to teach us through Hebrews through. That not only is the wilderness experience very critical and important to the life of a believer, that some of us, knuckleheads like me, we take the 40-year path through the wilderness instead of the two-week path, huh? Where were they trying to get to at the end of the wilderness? Promised land. But for some reason, a path that could have taken a couple weeks... He had to keep taking them in circles and around and around because they were refusing to change. They were refusing like that dog food. Things about them just stank. And he kept trying to point it out. And they kept being unwilling and refusing to change. All right, let's jump in the text together a little bit now. Hebrews chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. 
It'll be on the screen too. Here we go. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter four, verse one. God's promise of entering his rest. Everybody say rest. You know, there's nothing like Sundays. You know what I love about Sundays? A holy, holy nap. A Sunday holy nap. It's like sanctifies my, my whole body, I, I swear. I wake up Monday, just Monday ready to go. God's promise, I love that word of entering his, he promises us that we can enter his rest. He promises us that. That is a promise over your life. And in, in the middle of this terrible tragedy that somehow he can't, he can't it, it's not that the tragedy changes, it's that we change in the midst of it. It's not that your circumstances change, it's just that he changes us in the midst of what we go through. That way we can, we can get into his rest no matter where we are at. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear. I don't know about you, but anytime the, the, the scripture tells me I better be trembling with fear, I'm listening. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Just let that sink in for a second. We should tremble with fear that some of us might fail to experience his, his rest. What is it that blocks us from entering his rest? What is it that keeps us from entering what he's already promised us? What is it that keeps you and I, knuckleheads like me, from going through this wilderness for 40 years when, he's, when it's like a 14-day path sometimes? What is it that keeps us going round and round and circle and circle and, and refusing to enter his rest when he's already promised? He's already promised it. You see, I love this too. I, I read it two different ways. Number one, his rest, which really sticks out to me. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Fail to experience it. It's not an intellectual thing. You know, it's it, just like his audience knew the Old Testament well. They knew the stories. They, they intellectually, they, they had memorized these things. They understood the stories. But there was a difference between it being head knowledge and heart knowledge to actually transforming who they are. From them actually entering into his rest. They had seen the miracles. They had walked out of slavery. They have, they have lived through the different seasons of watching God work in their lives. But they still did not experience his rest. Peter Cesaro says this. He says, everyday people all around us live in a chronic state of dread, anxious about what tomorrow will bring. See, no matter the blessings that they experienced, each time throughout this story, they continually found a reason to be worried about what they couldn't fix tomorrow. They lost sight of what the Lord had just done previously. They lost sight of what already they had lived through, the miracles. They always got caught up thinking about and, 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 and like fixating their thoughts on and, and allowing themselves to be re-transformed back to where, where God found them and complaining and being frustrated about the things that they couldn't fix coming forward or the, the meals or the things that were, were, were going to happen. And so we, we allow ourselves to be in this chronic state of dread, anxious about what tomorrow will bring. But how do we live in this state of rest that God talks about in Scripture? How do we live in a state of rest in a world of chaos and disorder? 
You see, Jesus modeled this very well in his life, and we have to lean into the life of Jesus. And the thing that we learn about what Jesus did is he embraced the wilderness. You see, that wilderness season about Jesus and the way that he lived, that, that 90% of Jesus' life was lived on scene. We have two or three different stories about Jesus from, from being the baby, a couple stories right there, and then he goes almost these 30 years being unseen, a story or two. But most of his life was lived unseen in this wilderness, in this place of being alone and unnoticed that, that this embracing the wilderness season, that even in Luke 5, 16, we see that Jesus, after being recognized, after being baptized, he often withdrew back to the wilderness. Even after 30 years of living unnoticed, average, unseen, I can't even imagine what that was like for Jesus. Fully God, fully man, a carpenter, probably even a bad translation. He was more of like a, a construction worker. You know, he was more of like a, a, a construction building things in general. He was just average to the, to the normal person's perspective that, that, that most of his life was spent in this place. But even when he was baptized by John the Baptist and God, the, 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 the heavens parted and God said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. I'd be like, it's time to roll. It is get, get YouTube rolling, get me on social media, let the world know that the son of God has shown up and we're here to, to storm the gates of hell. But that's not what happened. Immediately after being baptized and being announced of his public ministry, the Spirit led him back to the wilderness. This wilderness place. That the Spirit led Jesus back to the wilderness to be tempted. That there was something more fruitful and beneficial of overcoming the wilderness experience than, than as we humans. This is the way we think that we're going to impact the world for Christ and put me on a big stage and fill this church and, and do all the great marketing and let's knock doors and let's save souls. But it's like a paradox in the, in the kingdom of God. He announces his son and then he puts him back into the wilderness to be alone. That there's, there's something more beneficial and fruitful inside of the wilderness experience than being on the big stage. There's something of substance and character to be developed in the unseen places of our life. In the wilderness and in this hidden spot. In fact, that word wilderness in the Greek is the eromos. Eromos. Everybody say eromos. I think I'm saying it right. I don't really know. It feels good though when I say it for some reason. Eromos. I don't know. But it's the word Eremos, that word wilderness, dozens of times it's repeated throughout scripture. Uh, isolation or wilderness, uh, he, he went off by himself. This is the same word over and over that Jesus got up early and he went off to be in this wilderness place, this Eremos, this being alone, being in solitude. A desert place. He went off to the desert or he went off, off, off on the mountain. It's the same word. It's Eremos. Like he went to be alone with the Father. That there's something that happens in this wilderness place. This isolated place. But here's where I propose our problem. This is our problem in our culture. The tension that you and I exist in in this very room today. 
is that our culture is infected with this sickness. We're infected with wanting to be seen, want to be noticed. I want to be talented. I want to be recognized by you as a good communicator more than I'm willing to live in that wilderness place. Our culture's infected with this, to how many likes you have, to how many shares, how many followers, how, how big's your stage, your platform, your wallet, your house, your car, your kids, your life, your 401k. Everything is about bigger is better, and that is how I know that I'm blessed by God, and it's not true. Like we're infected with this sickness that I want to be special. I want to be different than you. I want you to see me as something, as somebody. And we do it in this very church. We do it in our churches out there. Is we clap for the most talented people. But then the people that are serving in kids or Bailey on her third camp experience or our tech department. We don't celebrate them like we do the most talented. And we don't call each other out on it. Kit and Gina showing up. Every Sunday morning, hours before service, is to pray over the very seats that you sit in. We never do standing applauses for that, do we? But I get up here and scream and sweat on you guys a little bit, and everybody's going to clap and pat me on the back when we get done. You see, the way that we think about how we grow in Christ, the things that are actually important, the, the things that the world says is important versus actually what God says is important. Top three of the greatest fears is being alone. We can't even sit in silence with God in meditation for hours. We can't get, we, we, we don't go and isolate ourselves and, and dig into his presence, into prayer. We don't get alone with the Father long enough. We do what we're gonna do and we say, thanks big guy upstairs for blessing what it is I'm doing with my family. And he's not even in the middle of it anymore. We don't realize Uh, Hebrews, let's go back into Hebrews together. Hebrews 4, 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this, those who first heard this good news failed to enter. That's the second fear. Out of the top three, fear of failure, fear of being alone, See, we're so afraid to, to look like a failure in front of other people in this world because they see us. They see me failing, but the thing that matters the most is where we actually are failing. And that's to be in the wilderness, to be alone with, with our Savior. You see, the very ones who experienced these miracles that heard this good news first failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Well, we know who it was that failed, right? It's the, the Israelites, right? These ones that got pulled out of slavery, they failed to enter the rest that God had promised them. It says that, that they failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Did you know you can fail to enter the promises that God has spoken over your life if you disobey what you're supposed to be doing? This isn't a one and done transaction. This isn't a Lord, thank you for my bus ticket to heaven and everything's gonna work out in my life. That this is a continual transformation, that this is a process of changing, that this is a, an obedient lifestyle that I get to live. I don't have to live, I get to live. When I give my life to Christ, I get to live this way. 
It's not a rules and regulations kind of life. It's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that he transforms your heart so much so that his love touches your human heart. And your human heart then oh, it wants to obey him more than you want anything that this world can offer. But them. In 4.11, we see this, that, that it talks about who it was that failed it. So let us do our best to enter that, re that rest. The Hebrews is reminding us, this author is reminding us, let you and I do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Here's where I want to hang my hat this morning. How did they fail? We, knew, we know they failed. But how did they fail? I need to know that if we're going to learn and grow together. How did they fail? Exodus 16.2. It says, there too. Suggesting that this is a, a reoccurring offense. There too. This has happened multiples of times. So the writer of Exodus is telling us that this same type of thing has happened over and over. So there, too, you did this. It says, there, too, the whole community of Israel, what'd they do? Come on, say that out loud with me. What'd they do? There, too, they did it. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about how Moses about Moses and Aaron, they complained about their leaders. Lord, forgive us. So easy for me to throw stones at other people. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, back in slavery. <laughs> They're literally going back to what they came out of and saying that the slavery we lived in, the bondage we lived in is better than the freedom we're living in now. How quickly we forget what he has brought us out of. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. And there we sat around with pots filled with meat and ate and bread, all we wanted. But now you have brought us into this, what's the next word? Say it out loud. Wilderness. You see, we get caught complaining about the wilderness. And, and, and God's like, this is exactly where I want you to be right now. There's something about this wilderness experience. There's something about the season that you're in. Something about you getting alone and isolating yourself with the Father. I'm not talking about isolating yourself from people. I'm not talking about hiding away from the world. I'm talking about making sure you have enough space to be alone with the Father. That way the character that he's trying to develop will be able to withstand the platform and stage or the, the life, wherever it is he's taking you. He has to develop the character that's strong enough to sustain you where you're going. If he can't do that, you got to stay where you're at. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around with pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. Over and over they complained. Worship team, you can find your way up here for me, please. I'm going to keep preaching. Over and over they complained. Listen, don't miss this. It's just people walking around. You don't have to watch them. Listen. They'd been freed. They'd been freed from slavery. But they weren't living in freedom. 
It wasn't a one and done transaction. Them being freed from slavery and bondage was not them living in freedom. There's a difference. There's a difference. Whatever it is that's, that you're going through, whatever your wilderness is, maybe it's depression or grieving or if it's self-worth or your confidence or it's what, what, whatever it is. Maybe you were hurt and abused as a child. Maybe, maybe you have a shameful past like mine. You just can't get over it for some reason. I don't know what your story is. We've all got a story. We've all got something like the dog food factory that still stinks about us. And instead of changing it, you just get used to it. And he's got you in the middle of this wilderness for a reason. He doesn't want to take that away. He wants to take away what's inside of you that's not like him. There's something about the refining process. He didn't cause it to happen, but he will utilize whatever happens. There's something about right where you're at. That God wants to take the most severe and heartaching and heartbreaking and, 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 and unsure and, and un insecure and uh, financial or depression or thoughts or whatever the thing is that holds you back greatest. Is what he wants to utilize in your life to turn you into the version that looks most clearly like him. So I don't know what it is you're going through. You know, I've got a good friend going through some health stuff and he's a, he's a real busybody like me. Very active and a producer. We pride ourselves in our production and our producing. And I, I look at that and I'm like, Lord, teach me how to rest in you more often then. Because I'll push myself until I'm sick. I'll push myself until I, I don't have anything left. And I, I got an ulcer right now. An ulcer right now. And I'll push myself and I'll go and I'll, I'll keep, argh, keep pushing. I'm iron tough. And that's not true. Brandon? Stop being stupid. It's not true. You, you stink like the dog food factory. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to change you, Brandon. But I won't do what you're not willing to let go of. Here's our four takeaways today. They're up on the screen. I'm going to do a response right after this, but here's our takeaways. Number one, the book of Hebrews is all about the supremacy of Christ. Is there anything in your life that you've given authority over to that's not Christ? A defect, a default. Maybe it's a hidden sin. Maybe it's something that you, makes you just feel unworthy. Christ is superior to that. His sacrifice was enough for whatever you're going through. His blood does wash clean and wash away whatever it is that has your heart captivated right now. The second thing is perseverance in Christ. Maybe you've been stagnant in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've just been good right where you're at. I'm better than I was, Lord, so I'm good. And you don't realize there's still things about you he's trying to change and he's trying to shake you up. He's trying to rattle that cage because there's something inside of you. He needs you to live out in front of the world. He's trying to shake you up this morning and he's trying to get you back on that spiritual growth path. Our third thing, and I know this to be true in here. There's some of us that are just straight in a wilderness season. You're hopeless. Your faith's being tested, your health's being tested, your family's being tested, your finances are gone. 
The job ain't there anymore. I don't, I, I, I've tried and I've tried, Lord. I've tried to fix this and I can't fix it. It's not changing, Lord. And he has you right in this wilderness season because he, he doesn't want it to take 40 years. But he's going to keep you there until it takes enough time for you to change the way that he needs you to actually change. Here's our last thing. And I'm going to close on this. Do you know why the Israelites failed to enter his rest? Disobedience, sure. But when you're being disobedient, you've always got a mouthful of complaints. Maybe you have a heart of complaining. And oh, woe is me. Poor me. It's always evidence that you're focusing on the wrong person in your life. We're going to do an invite this morning. I, I know that there are some people in here in, a, in the middle of a wilderness season that I, I don't even know how you're going to get through. I, I don't know. Angel, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to get through it, okay? But I know who can get you through. These altars are open. You've been going through a wilderness right now. And you're not sure what you're going to do. You're sick and tired of feeling this way, of being this way. You're sick and tired of being stagnant. I want you to be brave and bold enough just to walk down to these altars and say, God, I'll meet you right here this morning. All I have is my sacrifice of, of being seen by people. The fear of what people might say if I stand up right now and I walk to this altar. I want you to put that on the bottom shelf and put what he sees on the top shelf right now. I want you to be willing to get up out of that seat and just walk down to this altar and go, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this wilderness. I don't know how I'm gonna grieve through this. I don't know how I'm gonna change this about myself. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this self-doubt. I don't know how I'm gonna get rid of this pet sin. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I need you to do it. Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Maybe it's a, a financial crisis. Maybe it's a, something in your family that you don't know how to fix. And God wants to talk to you at these altars this morning right about that. These altars are open. Dear Heavenly Father, if you feel called to come pray for people, please do. If you feel called to come to these altars, please do. But dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we open up our arms for you this morning. And we ask you to set a fire. Lord, I ask you to set a fire in this place in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, that I would not be so scared and stay in my seat, that I would not have fear of man, but that I would have fear of God in this place. That, Lord, if you have spoken to my heart, if you have, if you have touched my heart this morning, Lord, that these conversation places, these altars that we open up in our church is where we have a conversation with you. That all the other things would, would just fall away in our hearts and lives. As we go into worship, Lord, we invite you in. In the name of Jesus, please stand and let's worship together.